Good morning and welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, and on the NSN app. And we are November 4th. That means it's two days after Election Day of 2021, the first post-Trump national election day. Not the first post-Trump election, but... In fact, we now can actually look, instead of looking at polls and looking ahead and see what might happen, we know what actually did happen in most cases. Some cases, some races are too close to call. Some races will go to paper, as they say. But, but we definitely have some understanding that we can totally take for us and learn from it and try and understand the world of politics So we're going to unpack it. This is the unpacking show. This is the post-election show. And let's try and understand what happened. So what happened? There was a red wave. I mean, more like a tsunami in some cases. And uh, the post-presidential year is kind of known as the off year. It's not the off-off year. The four-year cycle of elections. We go from president to the off year to which has uh, some marquee races, the governorships of Virginia and New Jersey, as well as the you know various local races, etc., that uh, take place. And then there is the midterm year, which is the entire Congress is up, most of the more of the governorships around the states, but you know, have the Senate races, you have the Congress races, you have other you know, state races. In, uh, in most states will be in that midterm year. Then you have the off-off year, which almost nothing goes on. So that's, that, would be, that would be in 2023 this time. And then back to the presidential year, 2024. We look at everything in the four-year cycles, kind of like the way uh, the leap year is. We have every four years, we have for that solar leap year. So what happened? Well, the red wave, the red wave. And in fact, it wasn't like a wave... You know, sense that kind of a wave that hit you it was that multiple waves coming at you because because it wasn't just the top, like the Virginia governorship race or the fact that the New Jersey race couldn't even be called on election night, something that was supposed to be a blowout, uh, or suburban counties in New York State or even some city council districts in New York City. Uh, but at the local level, at the local level, so many Republicans won in a surprising fashion, and uh, we're going to unpack it all as we go through it, trying to understand the lessons learned, and everybody is looking to see what will happen next year in the midterms. Traditionally, as you say, the caveat should be, go- should be right now is that the party in power will lose seats in the immediate aftermath. So this is kind of no different than 2008 or even 2017. Uh, sorry, 2009, 2017, where you had a new president coming in. In 2009, it was Barack Obama, at, was in in 2008. And in 2009, the Democrats lost a lot of ground. Uh, Donald Trump came in in 2016. And in 2017, Republicans lost ground. And now we have 2020. Joe Biden coming in in 2021, Democrats lost ground. But in a way... I think that Democrats were so complacent about having gotten rid of Donald Trump, they kind of took their eye off the ball. Certainly they did in Washington. I think we've been discussing it for the last couple of weeks. Everybody's been saying that Democrats seem to have no clue as to how to govern, no clue as to how to get things done, no clue as to how to form their own majority and not understand 
where the mood of the country is. And I think hopefully, hopefully they got that lesson. I'm not saying hopefully they got that lesson because I hope necessarily the Democrats will win elections. Everybody knows uh, the way that I lean politically. But in a sense, I would prefer that people try to govern from the center. I think by and large, Americans want center type government. They don't want one extreme. They don't want the other. And we see extremes. We see people uh, having a backlash going the other way. And in a way, what we saw on Tuesday was a backlash against Democrats who have gone to the far left. Now, some Democrats, yes, are the far left. Some are, you know, relatively moderate. It's kind of interesting, you know, what's happened. Mayor of New York City, Eric Adams, more moderate, certainly more moderate than his primary opponents. Certainly would seem that that was what the electorate was looking for. Uh, Terry McAuliffe, more moderate, more moderate than his uh, primary opponents. Uh, Glenn Youngkin might be looked also as more moderate. Now, interestingly, and we'll, we might have to talk about this a little bit more if we have time to expand upon it. Glenn Youngkin was not nominated in a primary. The the Republicans in Virginia have a caucus or a convention where the party picks the nominee and Glenn Youngkin was not a was not the primary nominee. He was actually in a sense the least Trumpy of the people who were running on the Republican side. He ended up a wealthy private equity executive, funded a lot of the campaign himself, kind of came across as the corporate type of traditional Republican. And he uh, won won an excellent campaign against, I thought, was a very lackluster Democratic message, total lack of Democratic message. Terry McAuliffe, who had been governor already, Virginia has term limits, a governor can serve one term, and made a tremendous gaffe with regard to parents. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, is that talking about how parents shouldn't be involved in their kids' education or shouldn't be telling schools what to do or what to teach or should have no involvement. Absolutely asinine comment. And opened himself up to parent to the dislike from parents who had been homeschooling or keep, had had to keep their kids home, kind of engendered this rage from all these people who said, "My the schools have been closed. It's an absolute disaster. Enough already." And now they have to go back to schools that are teaching this woke nonsense. Critical race theory, transgender bathrooms, yes, and transgender bathrooms did come about because of the reaction of a school board in Loudoun County that condoned sexual assault against a teenage girl by a boy or non-binary, I don't even know, uh, but basically dismissed it and dismissed the claims of the parent, of the father. The father came to the school board, just to rehash this, got arrested and... Well, that became a huge issue in the Virginia's governor's race. It's so interesting in politics how one little detail, one little thing can kind of upend the race in an entire state. But again, Yunkin focused on message, didn't run away from Trump, didn't embrace Trump. But we see the fact that Trump is not on the ballot, is not motivating Democrats to come out. And the playbook that Democrats have gone after to say, oh, every Republican is like Trump, but Trump is out of mind, out of sight, out of mind. He's not involved. He didn't come to the state. That playbook is not working. Now, it did work in California to some degree, and we just had that recall election. But I would, my theory of the case in California was, number one, it's a recall. 
So when Gavin Newsom basically was saying, no reason to throw me out of office for a Trump acolyte, he wasn't really running against Larry Elder, the talk show host, who was a far-right uh, guy who said a lot of outrageous things. But Larry Elder was a great foil for that. Glenn Youngkin was the absolute opposite. He came across as that traditional Republican that you would uh, expect lower taxes, less regulation, uh, less ma- fewer restrictions, better schools, better education. We're not going to let the teachers' union run roughshod over our kids' education. We're not going to let left-wing uh, things go run after education. And certainly it was a recipe for success. Now let's just talk for a second about you know where we had Virginia, we had New Jersey, we talked about Long Island, the suburbs, uh, an absolute Republican sweep on Long Island, even New York City in areas, let's say more conservative areas of New York City, Republicans won city council seats despite the same time Eric Adams being elected. But Eric Adams had made... The fact that he was not a lefty. He was not a progressive. He was, well, he was not a far left person who figured who supported the funding the police and made that his uh, part of the of his campaign about policing and public safety as being a big piece of it, particularly in the primary. And I think that recipe worked so much so if you look at the kind of wokeness, progressiveness, I don't even know exactly what to say. The far left definitely lost in Minneapolis, right? The Where the George Floyd protests all started, where that happened, the voters overwhelmingly defeated a referendum to dismantle the police department, right? They wanted to get rid of the police department entirely. In Minneapolis, this was the thing that they were, that the city council actually voted for, and they wanted to say, we're going to replace it with the Department of Public Safety, and which would be in control of the city council, not even the mayor, this was a big piece of the progressive agenda. A lot of lefties they went, they supported this. They wanted to, uh, they wanted to promote this as a new model for policing, new model for public safety. We are more integrated with other programs, etc. And and this lost sixty percent. Sixty percent voted against this. They did not want this, even in Minneapolis. In Buffalo, we had this very interesting. Right in race, the the current mayor Byron Brown, a former state Democratic chairman, I think a four term of it now, he's five fifth term mayor, kind of took his eye off the ball, and we are, we've seen that. We'll talk about a couple examples maybe a little bit later about politicians taking their eye off the ball. Mayor Byron Brown thought he was a shoe in for winning the primary. He had an upstart Democratic socialists. Somebody who described herself as a socialist, India Walton, backed by the far left Working Families Party, and he lost the Democratic primary. And everybody said, "Well, you know, you're done. You got to accept the will of the voters." He said, "Why? The electorate is not the electorate overall in the general election is not the far left." That so he said, "I'm going to run as a write-in," and he did, and seems to have garnered a 20 point lead, 20 percentage point lead over India Walton, but. Uh, Write-in ballots take time to count. They don't count them right away. They have to go through each one and make sure. Now, he cleverly had a stamp and gave out the stamp to people so they wouldn't get the name wrong. There wouldn't be spelling mistakes. There wouldn't be handwriting mistakes. So that was a successful campaign. That was interesting, of course, because it pitted the Democratic establishment against each other in many cases. We had the governor, who's titularly the head of the Democratic Party in New York State, Governor Kathy Hochul. She stayed 
neutral, which is interesting because Buffalo is her hometown. That's her home base. She did not take sides uh, in this race, despite the fact that many of progressives were angry about Democrats not supporting the Democratic nominee. So much so that some of the progressives actually called on State Chairman Jay Jacobs, who did not also did not support the Democratic nominee, or at least uh, stayed neutral in this race, to some of the people called on him to resign over this. But Tom Swazi, a Long Island Democrat who's rumored to be running for uh, governor as a more conservative or moderate Democrat, went up there to campaign for Byron Brown. I'm sure Byron Brown would be grateful for that. Uh, and uh, Erie County is a source of good moderate Democratic primary voters. We'll see how he can convert that. Good strategy, interestingly, strategy by Tom Suozzi, differentiating himself from the field. The interesting there thing there is that, you know, I look at Chuck Schumer, U.S. Senator, Majority Leader, powerful Chuck Schumer, who has this moderate brand that I care about Long Island, uh, Long Islanders, and, and other middle class people uh, who are, you know, I, I've he projects his image visiting all 62 counties, no matter how rural they are, no matter how suburban they are, every single year. And he does that. And he works hard to present himself as a champion of moderate, middle-of-the-road politics. But it seems to me that Chuck Schumer is, we have these days, is the Chuck Schumer always looking over his left shoulder, looking at Bernie Sanders, whether it's and, and Elizabeth Warren over his left shoulder in the U.S. Senate, looking here at home over his left shoulder to see whether he's going to get a primary from AOC. Somehow, late in the game, he decides he's going to endorse India Walton as the socialist, and of course, she loses. I don't understand who is advising Chuck Schumer, I guess. I mean, I don't really understand Democratic politics, the internal machinations of Democratic politics, that is. But, 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 that is definitely a political loss for him. He may have been dragged into it by his partner, Kirsten Jolibrand, who never has any political identity whatsoever, never seems to understand, to, to know, always goes with the way the wind is blowing. Uh, used to be a conservative Democrat. Now she's a far left progressive Democrat, always worried about primary because she really has very little in the way of a base in the Democratic Party. So maybe she dragged him into it. But I just feel like kind of gratuitous. Why get involved in with two Democrats? Byron Brown, former state chairman. Yeah, okay, he lost the primary. Big deal. But of somebody who is an avowed socialist, she calls herself a socialist. Does the Democratic Party really want to have the socialist label? I can't understand it. It's similar. Last week we had on Joanne Ariola, who won her city council race uh, in southern Queens. And this is a very middle class, middle of the road district. Lots of cops and firefighters. And the Democrats somehow run Felicia Singh. Now, Felicia Singh, I don't know her. But what I do know is that she's pro BDS, and she has uh, she has thrown herself in with the Palestinian cause of the far left Jews for racial and economic justice and all those groups that hate Israel. So immediately that makes makes me suspicious. But she's also on record for defunding the police. That's in a district where there are lots of cops, and somehow the Democratic Party thought that this was a good idea to run a socialist. In that district, middle of the road district that had elected a Republican for 12 years, Eric Ulrich, a very conservative district. That was a district that kind of propelled Bob Turner when he run his congressional seat. So one would think they would run a middle of the road, but the, the, the new Democratic Party, the far left woke Democratic Party that seems to not be able to get out of its way, at least we've seen this past Tuesday, nominated somebody who... Imp- 
definitely could not win. And the funny thing is you had major candidates like Tish James went down, wants to run for governor. She went to campaign with Felicia Singh. Uh, I don't know why Tish James would campaign with somebody who is pro-BDS, who is anti-Israel, but I guess she'll have to explain it to the voters and to her Jewish friends. Uh, Kathy Hochul stayed out of that one. Charles Schumer kind of went there but didn't get out of the car, which I find to be interesting. That's kind of a compromised position, I guess, for some politicians. You say you're going, but you don't get out of the car. And In theory, it was for some kind of security reasons. Okay, let's just talk about what it is and let's talk about, talk about stats. I know there's polls, polling. Polling definitely had Virginia swing going away from the Democrats. Definitely Virginia going towards the Republicans. Um, but what actually happened? Well, it was a kind of a wipeout from the difference between the 2020 election to 2021. In one year, one year ago, Joe Biden won Virginia by 10 points. That's double digits. Youngkin wins by two points. So it's 11, an 11 plus point shift in the GOP's favor from four years ago also, okay, that was 2017 because Ralph Northam won by nine points and then a 12-point shift from last year. Every single county in Virginia shifted red. That means more Republicans, the, the margin was better for Republicans. Doesn't mean they won every county, but they, chank, they cranked out more votes relative to Democrats in every single county. That's the rural counties, that's the suburban counties. That's even the urban counties within Virginia. It was expected, of course, that you'd have that rural suburb, you know, suburban divide. And would the rural voters come out without Trump on the ballot? The answer is yes, they did. There were 3.3 million votes cast. It was actually by far the biggest gubernatorial turnout ever. And it's always the conventional wisdom that higher turnout favors the Democrats. The electorate is bigger. We let more people vote. And that will favor the Democrats. Guess what? It happens in favor of Republicans in Yunkin. Now, McAuliffe was out there. He was warning the National Democrats. He said this was going to happen, that if you don't get stuff done, if you don't get the infrastructure done, bill done, if you don't get things done in Washington, this is going to happen. But nobody listens, in a sense, because uh, still they still haven't passed infrastructure. They're $3.5 trillion. They're still arguing about that. Just watching every day Republicans, I'm sorry, Democrats fight amongst each other. I don't think it's very good for those who actually have to face the voters. Now, you might think, okay, the Trump playbook. They played the Trump playbook. That's all McAuliffe did. He wrote, he ran ad after ad going after uh, Yunkin as a Trump light figure. But Trump has a lot of supporters in Virginia, and they came for Yunkin, right? 42% of people, this was according to exit polls, 42% of people cast ballots in Virginia said they had a favorable view of the former president, and they vote almost unanimously, 90, 90, for Youngkin. But there were also people, 54% did not like Trump, according to exit polls. If they would have all voted for McAuliffe, he would have won. Guess what? They obviously voted for Youngkin. It seems that one of every six anti-Trump voters voted for Youngkin. So those ads just did not work. Even if people were against President Trump, they still voted for Youngkin. Joe Biden's favorable rating in Virginia is 50-50, okay? Donald Trump's was negative 15. He was underwater by 15 points, more 15 points higher. But Fox News had a poll before, right before, okay, mid-October, 
Independents viewed Biden favorably by 10 points, but they viewed Trump unfavorably by 25 points. But they, obviously, people still voted for Glenn Youngkin. And then Washington Post poll asked likely voters how Trump's endorsement affected them. Only 9% said it made them more likely to support Youngkin. Four times, 37% said it made them less likely to support Youngkin, but they obviously still supported Youngkin. And amongst independents, that was 30 points to 7 points. Among suburbanites, that was 39 to 8. Okay, so obviously the electorate didn't want Donald Trump and they didn't vote for him last year. And this is not getting into the Trump Republican Party, everything, whether, you know, Trump, I think what it is, is that many people like Trump's policies. They did like the Republican policies. They, especially in Virginia, they like, uh, they like what the Republicans were selling, but they did not want to vote for Donald Trump for other reasons. Similar thing to what's going on in Virginia. This 12 points swing in Virginia was saying, remember, Joe Biden won, I'm sorry, New Jersey, New Jersey, Joe Biden won New Jersey by 16 points. And Jackson Cittarelli is, looks like he is not going to win, but he is essentially tied. Okay. If that were to happen, a similar type of shift, okay, you would see, okay, sorry, Republican candidates for the New Jersey State Senate outperformed the seats 2020, that means last year, by 10.8 points. That's the medium number. If you take that and extrapolate that for the entire country, the House Republicans in the Congress will pick up 44 seats. 44 seats. If they were to out, if they were outperform similarly to how voters voted in Virginia which is 12.3 points, they would pick up 51 seats. That would be 261 Republicans to 174 Democrats in a potential 2022 midterms. The Democrats better get their message and their house in order, literally. Okay, let's talk about Long Island. Okay, close to home. Joe Biden, again, won Nassau County by 10 points last year. Similar to Virginia. Of the 223,000 voters, actually, I think it was 200, 200 sorry, who ta- her 260,000 voters were ca- votes were cast in Nassau County compared to 700,000 in 2020, 260,000 this year. Uh, nine, out Republicans had 20,000 more turnout than did Democrats, despite the fact that there's a 90,000 enrollment edge. Okay. State Senator Alexandra Biaggi from the Bronx, she's a progressive. She said, the Bronx and Westchester, she said, called this a nightmare. And Tom Suozzi himself, we mentioned before, he said that Democrats are running New York, have done too much just to pander to the left, and we're paying the price for it. He said, people do not want that, meaning what the progressives are selling. They want results that affect their everyday life. That used to be the old way how Democrats would win elections. Another analyst said, Bruce Giori, the Republicans weaponized public reaction to bail reform. No kidding. I mean, that was it. The two DA's race, I think, propelled what was going on in Nassau and Suffolk. Those two DA races propelled huge Republican victories. I mean, nobody thought that Todd Kaminsky, a sitting state senator, prominent figure, up and comer in the Democratic Party, would lose the DA's race by 20 percentage points. They thought that the playbook was that Laura Curran, who was a popular incumbent, middle of the road, not defund the police type of incumbent that she would carry the ticket 
and she would be able to carry Todd Kaminsky to victory. Well, not only did she not carry it, but I think that the bail reform issue took down the entire ticket. And the uh, district attorney, Tim Sini, lost, the incumbent actually, lost also in Suffolk County by about 17 points. Bustiori, back to him, he said the mood is against the Democrats. He talks about inflation. People go to the gas station. They see gas at 450. And he said a very instructive point. And this is from a Democrat. Progressives don't see these issues in the west side of Manhattan or in Astoria or the western precincts of Brooklyn, where it's tough to find a Republican with a microscope. But the real power elsewhere in the state is driven by unaffiliated voters. And that's exactly what happened in Nassau and Suffolk is that the Democrats, they just stayed home. They can't figure it out they, because they condescendedly, as he said, look down, look down their noses when the Republicans put forth a narrative that many Democrats feel untrue and unfair, and you hear that all the time, is that the Democrats, Republicans make an attack. The Republicans say, it's, uh, the Democrats respond, it's not true. It's not true. It's not true. This happened with bail reform. Republicans said Todd Kaminsky authored the bail reform law. Now, maybe may well authored it, but he co-sponsored it. He voted for it. He was praised for, for having input into it. And then his response was essentially, well, they're lying about me. If you have to be explaining in politics, you are losing. And that's uh, essentially what happened here on Long Island, that bail reform, crime, Taxes, the usual issues, motivated Republicans to come out, and the Democrats didn't seem to bother. And now to the safe blue sea that is known as New York City, where Republicans seemingly can never seem to win, and uh, Eric Adams triumphed as mayor. Uh, Curtis Sliwa not even reaching Nicole Maliotakis numbers from 2017. Uh, despite an energetic and entertaining uh, campaign, certainly at the end, as Curtis Lewa always manages to do. But city council races, the competitive city council races, all seem to have gone the Republicans' way with two uh, that are too close to call right now. Although it does seem that the one in Northeast Queens, that Vicky Paladino, will beat former councilman and former state senator Tony Avella even with a conservative party candidate on the ballot who took about 5 or 6% of the vote. So that an absolute uh, romp in that district. Joanne Ariola, as we talked about, she wins in southern Queens. Uh, Joanne Ariola, the Queens Republican chairwoman, now becomes a city councilwoman, replacing Eric Ulrich in the very interesting race. I mean, astoundingly interesting race in southern Brooklyn to replace uh, the seat once held by Chaim Deutsch. We have Ina Vernikov, who ran a very spirited race against Steve Saperstein, who seemed to have entirely disappeared after the primary. Interestingly, the most moderate Democrat wins a primary somewhat impressively against an interesting field, including uh, Heshi Tischler, who was just kind of a footnote and even got some write-in votes in this. But Tischler, um, totally a non-factor politically, but has the entertainment value. Uh, that's why people started looking at this race. But Ina Vernikov runs a race with the backing of Dove Heikind and Chaim Deutsch and again, a mask mandate, which resonated, obviously. But she was the Trump candidate in a district that Trump carried. Now, everybody says, well, you know, the, why would anybody elect a Republican in deep blue New York City? Well, people in particularly, I think, in the Russian and the Orthodox communities decided they're going to vote their values for a 
candidate who they felt represents them and they feel better represented by the Republican Party. And I think when the leadership continues to tell people, you must vote Democrat, you must vote Democrat, that's the only way we can do it in New York City. A lot of people say, well, that makes sense, maybe in a non-competitive race. I mean, I can vote for somebody who I know is, is you know, can support people who we know are going to win. But in a competitive race like this one, against somebody who, Steve Saperstein, Saperstein, who ran in 2017 as a Republican, switched parties in order to win. Got to feel bad for the guy. He kind of mistimed his, his reason. You know, if you want to run anti-establishment, like as a Republican, you run in the year against the establishment, against the party, right? Right now, then Donald Trump was in office. So there was a reaction to... Republicans. Now there's a reaction to Democrats. So he kind of mistimed that a little bit. But she ran a very interesting campaign, uh, very energetic campaign, seemed to be all over the place. He refused to debate her. He just said, Steve Saperstein said, I'm not going to debate. I didn't, and basically ignored her and basically disappeared. And maybe he was afraid of campaigning. Who knows? Uh, that is a, not a, even a close race. It won more than 60% of the vote in Staten Island. What was a multi candidate race? Former uh, <clears throat> former councilman Sal Albanese, former assemblyman, had the backing of all the police unions, backing of the PBA, running against David Carr, uh, who was the Republican candidate. And David Carr won over 60% of the vote. Joe Pirelli, unopposed, uh, won as well, uh, both on the strength of Vito Fasella, former congressman running for Staten Island Borough President, who won again 60% of the vote in a three way race. As well, and then too close to call Justin Brannon. Justin Brannon, uh, a city council speaker candidate, looking, measuring the drapes already potentially, and that's what gets you into trouble. Not paying attention to what's going on at home. Had a spirit campaign from Joe Fox, and he actually might lose. Although on paper they say he will be okay. That is not dissimilar from what happened in. New Jersey, where the state Senate president, Sweeney, has been in office kind of forever, forever, in southern New Jersey, is losing by two 2,500 votes to Edward Durr, D-U-R-R, a truck driver who spent a grand total of $153 on his campaign. 98% of the vote counted. Durr is leading 32,134 to 30,125. Those may have been updated, but that is amazing when you think about it. Some people sometimes in the leadership are measuring the drapes. They're, they're thinking ahead, thinking of what the next move is, and they are not paying attention to the race at hand. It's good, instructive understanding for them. Okay, as we close, the last stop and I'll close with just talking about how Lakewood, Lakewood, New Jersey, seems to have swung, at least in the Views of prognosticators seems to have swung the governor's race, which is, again, super, super close, although Phil Murphy has been declared the winner. Uh, none other than Dave Wasserman of the Cook Political Report, the kind of the dean, the guru of all political statisticians and data. And he tweeted, had the Lakewood Vod endorsed Citarelli instead of Murphy, we would be looking at a very different governor right now. The results, 2020, Donald Trump got 30,648 Votes in Lakewood to Biden, 6,397. That is a gap, of course, of 24,000 votes. In 2021, Citarelli, only 11,644 votes. Murphy, 7,112. There seemed to be, have been the same amount of Democratic votes, but the Republican turnout, obviously, much lower. You might say that some people in Lakewood were not, were afraid of, they didn't want to pull the lever for a Democrat. So, 
down by 19,000 19, votes in uh, Lakewood, New Jersey. That certainly would have been or could have been the difference. Obviously, he wasn't going to get all those votes, but he could have gotten some of them. I would imagine that Governor Murphy will be very, very happy and receptive towards uh, the Jewish community in Lakewood for delivering him the governorship. And the last word will come from New York State Republican Chairman Nick Langworthy, who said... Succinctly, when asked about the election results, people have had enough. They want to party government. Remember that for 2022 when New York State governor is on the ballot. That's it for Spin Class here on the Knoxville Single Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Allison Joseph. See you next week.